Amen to that. Amen to that. It's our goal that uh, in these next three or four weeks, as we, as we share uh, God's heart for you and God's heart for our church, that, that what we might see emerging as the year progresses is God's best version of us. I love what uh, Dennis said, and if you didn't catch last week's message, please go back onto the podcasts and, uh, and listen to that. It was a great message about being unshakable, and, and I, I took a lot away from that, and, and I, I so want to honor Dennis and the great work he does as our, one of our lay preachers here. That was an outstanding New Year's message, but we're continuing that theme, and, and as I said, what we're looking for is that God would work in us so that the very best version of us might come to pass, and I'm going to continue that theme today. One of the passages of Scripture that that uh, uh, Dennis shared struck me, and I've been looking at that and, and, and reading that, and I want to read it again. In, in fact, to be honest with you, as I often say in my sermons, if there was one thing that you took away with you, take this passage away with you and read on it and meditate, because it is a message for our time, and particularly for the people of God in this time. It's out of Matthew chapter 6, which many of you will know comes from Uh, the teaching which we've come to call the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this is a passage where Jesus basically says, don't worry, don't worry, do not worry. And then he teaches into that, and that's what we're going to be teaching on this morning. So let's read the passage first. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. Therefore, says Jesus, I tell you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear or how are we going to manage For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Wonderful passage, and worthy of a second thought. And I do want to say right at the beginning that I believe in planning. In fact, Jesus says that, you know, we should plan. We should plan our lives. But it's really the disposition. Jesus is really talking about the way we do life. Dennis talked about the attitude of mind, the place where we dwell in, how we, how we see ourselves. That verse that leaps out of those pages, verse 33 Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That is a key. You know, C.S. Lewis put it very nicely. He said this. He said, we do not have a soul. We are a soul. We have a body. Think about it. We do not have a soul. We are a soul. 
we have a body. Now, all too many of us, I have to say, think we are a body. Indeed, in the way we, we, we pursue life and the goals we set ourselves, it's all, about, it's all about bettering ourselves and providing for ourselves and gaining status and power and the right friends and the right toys and the right this and the right that. And then some of us may be spiritual and have a little spiritual bit and we, we have a soul. But we live our lives as if it's all temporal. It's all eat, drink, and be merry. Phyllis and myself, we were up in, uh, on New Year's Eve, we were up in London, we had a lovely day up there, did a number of things. Um, we, we wondered about staying for the fireworks, but it was bitterly cold down there, and a quarter of a million of you were already down there, so we thought we would have a job of it. So we decided to come back and be oldies, and put on our carpet slippers, and get some cocoa and watch it on the telly, you know. But while we were down there, what was so interesting was that most people were wrapped up warm. It was cold. There was a bit of a wind coming up the river, and, you know, they were wearing fur coats and hats and scarves. But we were on the tube, and suddenly uh, we, we got off, and we were waiting to change tubes. We were in the station, and suddenly a, a party of, of people came off the tube, and, and, and it was just so incredible and incongruous because you would have thought that they were on the beach in Ibiza, you know, all the girls, God bless them, had skirts up to here and no tights, and the guys were in cut-off trousers and, you know, those espadrille canvas shoes and T-shirts, and they were well lagered up, I have to say. In fact, I thought I recognized one or two of you. But, um, <laughs> but you know, they, they were out for a party, and I just saw them, and I, I, I both loved them and, and hated them at the same time, you know. I love them because they were in the party spirit, and why not? If you can't celebrate at Christmas, New Year, when can you celebrate? But at the same time, I thought, gosh, this is ridiculous. You know, if that was me, I'd get double pneumonia and probably you know, get a, an attack of nits as well. You know? But, but you know, they, were, they were absolutely careless of the temperature or anything. And I thought to myself, you know, I was young once. I remember those days when I used to go out the doors. My mum shouted after me, wrap up your neck. And I sort of ignored that and ended up sort of, you know, parting and, and, and in a very sorry state. And I, I was looking at that and I was thinking about that. And there was something slightly wistful about me, but there was also something sad. I did find it a little sad. And for some of myself talked about it because there was such a sense of, of all that matters is now and how I am feeling now and who cares if I end up in casualty tonight for whatever reason. Who cares as long as I'm okay now? And that's an extraordinary thing. That's an extraordinary perspective. So anyway, I wanted to spend a little bit of time thinking about this passage, thinking about you know, the fact that we're, we don't have a body. We, we aren't, up, sorry, we thinking about the fact that we are a soul and we have a body, getting that perspective, that eternal kind of consequence and, ins and, and, and insight. And as I was preparing this talk, I was reminded of how Rich and I, we were at uh, the Houses of Parliament, no less, in uh, June of 2009. We were at a prayer meeting there, believe it or not. And there was somebody there who, some of you may know, a guy called Ravi Zacharias, and he did a teaching on the soul. And it was one of those occasions when I thought, I'm going to just jot this down because I'm going to need this at some point or other. And uh, uh, it'll come in handy. And as I was thinking and praying about this message, I thought, that's it. That's what 
I jotted that down 18 months ago. For It's for now. It's for this moment, this message. And so I'm going to teach now for the next 20 minutes uh, on four aspects of the soul. If that be true, if we are a soul and have a body, if there is more to life, as the Alpha thing said, than just attending to our, our immediate and, and material needs, what is it about the soul that is so distinctive and so special? And those are, I'm going to toss some thoughts out there for you to, to consider. And then at the end of that, I'm going to do something. We do something very rarely, but occasionally, when it's right. I'm going to have the worship team come back up, and I'm going to invite you to respond, anyone and everyone, to come down to the front and to just line up along. They used to call it an altar call. Probably they still do. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to to do more than just sit there and think, yeah, that's an interesting thought. I might think about that and then forget about it four steps outside the door as you, as you, you gaze upon the mountain of donuts and, and coffee. I'm going to create and just leave an opportunity for you to respond to God himself and just say, yeah, I heard you, whatever that was, whatever you take away from this talk, I heard you, Lord, and I want to press on into that. I want to I want to engage with that. So, so that's the plan for the next 20, 25 minutes. So four aspects of the soul then. The first aspect of the soul I want to talk about is eternity. Eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.10, it's what they call the wisdom writings. It's incredibly old, nearly 3,000 years old. And it says in Ecclesiastes 3.10, God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. He has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. There is something about us, there is something part of our, our DNA, you know what I mean, the, the, the sort of fundamental building blocks of life. There is something in us, so the, so the scriptures tell us, whereby we have a perception that actually there is more to life than this. That life is more than just, you know, rushing here and there and trying to make it or break it or do whatever you do with it or take it by the throat and give it a good shake or, or live for the moment or eat, drink, or me- there is more to life than all of that. Now, some of us trying to self-medicate, some of us are so disturbed by that that, that we just want to live in the moment, live in the present and not consider anything else. Well, if you do that, you're actually like chopping your arm off. You're denying something few that is absolutely fundamental to to your humanity. We need to begin to embrace and engage with the difficult questions of life, one of which is eternity. The fact that we are spiritual beings, whether we like that tag or not, and that God has plans and purposes for us. So that's the first thing that I want to remind you of. And one of the things that you may want to do this year, or or, or in in 20 minutes, you may want to come forward and say, you know, last year was not a good year, Lord. Yeah, we did this, and yeah, we achieved that, and yeah, we hit those goals, and yeah, I got the the girl I needed, or the car I wanted, or whatever it was I get, but you know what? Something deep inside me said that I was just chasing after the stuff the pagans chase after, and I actually suppressed that sense of Eternity, that, the, the dignity that that brings. When we, when we feed the soul, we begin to dignify ourselves. We begin to unpack and explore what the best version of us is. Eternity. The second one 
is morality. Now, this might be a a surprising one to you, morality, and, and, and it can conjure up all sorts of negative things. It can conjure up judgment, criticism, unacceptance. You may feel immediately uncomfortable, or you may feel immediately self-righteous, the other end of the scale. It may conjure up all sorts of things, but I want to say this. Please just press the pause button for a moment. Because there is something about us, something deep within the soul that needs to be moral. And that flows out of the reality that you and I have been made in the image of God. We are made in his image. And God himself is a moral being. God himself is righteous. God himself is just. And when he made us in his image, he blessed us with the, that capacity. We, we, deep inside us, we know what's right and wrong. We've all watched TV programs and we've turned to our friend, our partner, our mates and said, oh, that ain't right. Oh, flip. That, no, that ain't right. How do we come to that judgment? How do we make that assessment? It's because God has built into our DNA morality. So when we aspire to be moral, when we, when we say integrity is important, when we keep our word even when it hurts, when we do the right thing by our friends, our family, our girlfriends, our boyfriends, our children, our workmates, even when it's unpopular, we dignify ourselves, we feed the soul. When we do the other things, when we indulge in illicit affairs, when we, when, when, when we, when we lie, when we, when we tell untruths, when we become party to some uh, sort of peer group injustice, we denigrate ourselves. Again, we chop another part of ourselves away because we're not made to be like that. Yesterday I was doing something in, in, in our gar my garage and working on the car and I had the radio on and I was listening to any questions and they had two politicians there, one ex-politician and a fashion designer. And they were asked the question, they were asked the question, was it right that David Chater, the, the MP that was sent to jail for 18 months this year for his expenses scams, was it right that he went to jail? And there were a number of comments and you can check that out on the iPlayer. But the thing that shocked and saddened me was that Matthew Paris, a, 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 a guy who actually speaks a lot of sense from time to time, you know, said this. He said, but you know what? Okay, so David Chater has broken the law. He's been found guilty. He's been tried. He's gone to jail quite right. But you know what? One of the things I realized when I became an MP, I'm not one now, but when I became an MP, was that there was a whole culture of, you know, you do this and you can put in for that. And yeah, oh, no, have you left that one off? Well, no, put that one. That's okay. And there was this whole culture of, of playing the system, playing the system. And there was almost a kind of a gasp from the audience, and I kind of gasped because I kind of intuitively thought that probably was the case. But here he was, bless his heart, and maybe an act of confession or, or contrition or, or, or just integrity, saying that that was the, the atmosphere. Not everybody went along with it, he said there were the angels, maybe 20 or 30, that would have nothing to do with it. He said there were also the baddies, the, what he called the pigs, 
who got their noses in the trough and really went for it to excess. But then there was the bunch in the middle, he said. We lived in the gray area where it was all a little bit fuzzy. And I, I found myself thinking, you know, well, I think I've been in situations like that. You know, I, I, I've had my own business and various things before this. And, 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 you know, there are situations. We live in a world where sometimes black and white is not black and white. It's kind of gray. But you know what? When we indulge in the... When we, when we succumb to the peer pressure and do things that just feel a little icky to us, but everybody's doing it, you know what? We undermine ourselves. We defile ourselves. We chop another part of ourselves off. It does not feed the soul. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The third aspect of the soul that I want to draw your attention to, just by way of being provocative and, and hoping that you might think about this, is the whole business of accountability. Accountability is one of those buzzwords these days. We're always talking about accountability. It comes up in all sorts of contexts and what have you. But you know, when you look at accountability, no wonder it's such a, a common uh, buzzword, because there is this deep need in us to justify ourselves. We feel disadvantaged, we feel as if we've done wrong, so we need to compare, we need to, we need to you know, put others down in order to make ourselves better, etc., etc., etc. And it is extraordinary, and it's not just confined to you guys. Pastors undergo this as well. I heard a national leader last year of a, of a, of a, of a denomination give a talk, and he's, he, he, he was answering a number of questions that, that people had asked him. And one of the questions was this. If there was one you know, besetting sin that you could eradicate, eradicate from, from pastors, what would that be? I was all ears. I was interested to know. I had a few theories myself. But he said, you know what? What I would eradicate is the sin of insecurity. Interesting. He called it a sin, and it was the sin of insecurity. You know, he said so often pastors are driven not by faith, but by fear. They're afraid of what that little pressure group over there is saying about them. They're afraid of, of this person who wants more than they can give. They're afraid of, of their, their family because they don't feel they're providing very well. They're afraid of this, they're afraid of that. It creates terrible insecurity. But you know all about this. We live in a world where insecurity is an absolute pandemic. And it expresses itself in all sorts of ways. The, the, the tragedy of this, this, this insecurity, this, this, this need to justify, to give an account so that we can be okay, I'm all right, Jack, but you've got problems. The, the way we do that, the way we go about that is so unnecessary. Because, as I've said twice already, part of our genetic code is that we need to give an account. The question is, who are we going to give an account to? Who is the real judge? Is it that voice of your mother as a child wittering on at you, who even though you're 42 and a successful CEO in a company, still seems to badger you? Is it that 
that sports coach urging you on at early morning training sessions to excel, to excel, to excel, and still drives you even now? Is it the critical parent in you, or is it the demanding child, or is it the mature adult, or, or whoever, what it is? The one we need to be mindful of, the one who we need to give an account for, is actually God himself. God himself. A wise person said, I can't remember who it was, just a wise saying. A wise person said, not, it, it, we will not be able to do accountability on a horizontal level, i.e. with our peers, our friends, and our family. We will never get that right until we first get the vertical accountability right. Until we present ourselves before God
just engage with God and just pray. Thank you.